Uh, hello, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It is the week after Easter, and the crowd has readjusted. <laughs> I'm always so hopeful. I I'm one of those hope reigns forever inside of my youthful heart, even though my spine feels like an 88-year-old man this morning. My, my heart feels still like a jovial young man, and Easter is such a phenomenal time to see how many people are willing to come out to church and fill up the church. And I think with COVID, that whole kind of mindset, I was flashing back to Easter a couple years ago because that was right kind of in the beginning. It was uh, March, right? It was when it started. And uh, we had set up the cameras and there was nobody in the building. And we had to get ready for service. And I remember telling Eric, I was like, maybe just a few people like in the front, like I, I honestly don't know if I could preach to nobody. So what we did in just you guys' secret, secret society, we let people sneak in every Sunday from the very first one. And so even those very first videos of the first messages, there would be like seven or eight people that would sneak in and they'd be like, I know we're not supposed to be here, but I'm desperate for church. And so what are we doing? I'm like, oh, sit right here, man. Sit right here because we needed, we needed some people to look at. You need, like for me, I'm very feedback-based. And so part of even this, this morning as I'm thinking about sharing, it's like I, I look at you guys and I need that response. So I'm grateful for all of you for showing up. I'm grateful for what Easter did provide for the church and just the opportunity. About 250, 265 people. For us, that's a real blessing. And I know the word of God goes out. And it's like, it's like concentric rings, right? You never know where it's going to stop or how it's going to hit or how it's going to work. So I'm always excited to share. But, you know, you got up this morning, you made the effort, you talked to your friends, you invited your families, your in-laws came in from out of state, they didn't even know they were going to church. <laughs> Welcome to Costa Mesa. Like I said, we're still working on getting the sun out, but in the mean, the sun is here, and so we will, the sun will rise here, and so that's exciting. Um, in light of some of the announcements, um, if you came in early this morning, I had Mark play some of the announcements. The church is having a lot of fun stuff happening behind the scenes. I just want to let you know about that. From children's ministry growing to student ministry growing to even to some of the life groups. Um, so if you hadn't thought about maybe getting your kids involved or getting students involved, all those ministries are starting to do pretty well. And the student group is actually a little bit over 20 students, which is uh, pretty exciting for this church and pretty vibrant and also young adults josh is kind of teaching josh is the guy who does keyboards drums and all that stuff you know josh guitar as well josh has been kind of focusing on the young adults so the young adults the high schoolers and the junior highs all come in on wednesday night we start together we actually have a full worship team now we do corporate prayer and worship together and then chris johnson has kind of been helping me with the students he's been teaching the students and then we break out into small groups and that's pretty exciting for me as a senior now, which is a weird title for me to have in my life, but I'm still working with the junior high boys. And so for those of you that know junior high boys, and now Sophia has joined us as an incoming junior high girl, uh, seven or eight junior high boys and one junior high girl is quite an entertainment. So my Wednesday nights are quite spectacular because the goal is just to go like five minutes. If we can go like five minutes with information, I feel like it's a total victory because at some point someone's going to say some word or do some dance move and then they all break out like dominoes. They just can't help themselves. They all break out into dance or run a random running and jumping and laughing and then it's five more minutes to calm them back down. But, but God has been really good and I'm really grateful for all that. So please, baby dedications, baptisms, a lot of stuff upcoming. I know that takes planning. You're going to have to let your family know about those different things. So check the bulletin, check with us, check every week. And uh, that way, when the opportunity comes, you're going to be ready for it. 
So today we're starting a transition. We're going to be heading into the book of Acts. Um, it's interesting for me that Acts is such a fabulous book to follow Easter because Acts is basically the book that starts after Jesus' ascension. So it's a perfect book to start with. And it's also a sequel, which is kind of an interesting too because we just did Nehemiah. And coming out of Nehemiah, a lot of us didn't realize that Nehemiah was a sequel to Ezra. And I had a lot of fabulous feedback during that time, and so hopefully God will be doing the same kind of things with you this morning. So if you hadn't thought about it, Acts, it's sometimes called Acts of the Apostle, but I'm going to show you this morning, I think it's more the Acts of the Holy Spirit is really what's happening there. We're going to learn some things about the opening and the book of Acts, and I'm pretty excited to share it with you. But uh, let me first open in prayer, as I know this morning, we all come in here with a lot of different things on our hearts, so let's kind of give those things to the Lord and prepare ourselves. Father God, it is, um, as every Sunday, an opportunity to come before your throne and simply say that uh, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for what last week represented the whole Holy Week and the opportunity to, to hear of your triumphal entry into the end of the week, Father, where they say crucify you. And yet you had a plan and you were always at will with your Father. You were always just making consideration for his plan. Not my will, but your will be done. And Father, that's what was accomplished last week. We we now have this living hope in Christ that we need. And for some of us this week, um, even to say goodbye to some loved ones, Father, we needed that living hope. We desperately needed that, not just for the day, but for the rest of our lives to know that you have beaten death. And we can say, death, where is your sting? As we prepare our hearts and minds now, Father, to continue in studying your word, I pray that you would be with us this morning. Kind of remove any of the distractions that naturally come with Sunday. It's just sometimes it's such a struggle to, to get up and to get going. I just pray that you'd be with us. I pray that the book of Acts is not only simple and profound, but, Father, that it's inspirational to remind us that 2,000 years ago, the church had to start somewhere. And we're going to read about what happened when it started. And it started very simple, and it started very focused. And, man, did you bless it. And I pray that this morning that you would bless us in that same way, that you would get us focused, keep us simple, and remind us, Father, if we keep the main thing, the main thing, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we go, and we make, and we baptize, and we teach, Father, that you will bless and take care of it all. We do these things in your Son's precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. So this uh, gospel was written in A.D. 63, Acts is A.D. 63, but because it's a sequel, it's important to kind of take one quick step back and look at what it follows. It follows the book of Luke, okay? The author is Dr. Luke. And Dr. Luke is really focused on one thing. He's really focused on making sure this individual, Theophilus, gets the information that he needs to have the opportunity to say that I'm absolutely confirmed that what I've seen in Jesus Christ and what I've been taught in Jesus Christ is true, okay? He's, a, he's possibly a Roman convert, but I found it was kind of interesting. His name actually means one who loves God. So it could be that Luke was writing to this individual, this Roman convert, but he could be writing to us in general as well, because if you love God, then this information might also be relevant to you. He writes this in Luke, like I said, the first book, A.D. 60. Luke is part of the Gospels or the Good News. And he writes this book, and a key verse that I found from that first gospel was Luke 1.4. And he wrote it, Theopolis, so that, so that you may know with certainty of the things you have been taught. And the things that he wanted to know with certainty relative to the book of Luke was that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. So he focused his first book, his first volume on Luke to say, hey, look, if you study these things, if you pay attention to these things, if you research these things and put these things in your heart, you will have an absolute confidence to know that these things that took place are true. 
And then he's going to follow it with the book of Acts and say, okay, Jesus has now been resurrected. The book ends with the ascension. Luke ends with the ascension of Christ going up. Acts begins with the ascension. Jesus starting there. Now he's going to follow the book of Acts, the, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. We, we, I wanted to tell you who Jesus was. I wanted to explain who the Messiah was and what his role was. Now I'm going to explain to you who the Holy Spirit is. Now the book of Acts is interesting. It's 28 chapters, so we're going to be in it for a while. And it covers the first 30 years of the church. Now, I wish I could say that each chapter was specifically a year, but I can't say that. But it's basically covering a pretty good period of time. And I think that's important because when you look at how something starts, it explains how 2,000 years later, we're sitting in here today because of what started 2,000 years ago with what we're about to read. So it's really important that we get to the kind of the nuts and bolts of what, what, what they needed in Acts and what they did. And once again, in Acts, it has a key verse as well found in the first chapter, and this is uh, Acts 1.8. And the idea here is that they needed to wait for the Spirit. Wait for the Spirit. So this is something really important to them because the Spirit of God is going to explain all these other situations that we need to understand today. What is it that ultimately helps the church be the church that we are today? Even founded the church? It's the Spirit of God. And the power of the Spirit of God that was about to come upon them was going to give them the ability to start ministry in Jerusalem, which... I had a picture in my thing, and I forgot the center of the mark, but the way Jerusalem is situated is if you took Israel kind of top to bottom, Jerusalem is literally centered, dead center, okay? They're going to start right there in Jerusalem, and then they're going to move north, uh, Samaria, and then they're going to move south, Judea. And I kind of I did some mileage thing on that whole thing. So it'd be like from here to San Clemente, from here to uh, Riverside, and from here to Long Beach. 30, 30 to 40 mile triangle. It's a very small little boot that they're going to start working and ministering in, but from these little concentric rings starting in that one area and out and out and out and out. As, as Jesus promised, when the Spirit comes upon you, it will go to the ends of the earth. And as we sit here today in 2023, that's what we're ultimately waiting for, right? The Word of God has to go out to every known people group before the Lord can return. That's a promise that was made. And this was a promise that was foretold. This was um, Isaiah 32 said, until the Spirit is poured out from on high. Okay? Nothing could happen until that. Now, once again, Isaiah and Joel also talked about it. I will pour out my Spirit on all my people. These are prophecies. So the Bible's full of all these prophecies. And another picture that I would like to get, and I, I know that it exists out there, so maybe Mark, you can help me find it. But there's a picture that shows if you take all the Bible verses from the Old Testament and all the Bible verses from the New Testament and then put like a small little arrow back and forth on how they're connected, it's this magnificent picture with just an overarching amount of, of rainbows, just connection and connection and connection and connection. And so I will also work on that next week because I want you to realize just how connected the Old Testament and the New Testament are. Now, the Acts of the, uh, the Holy Spirit shows that the kingdom of God was about to come on, on, upon man. Now, Israel wanted a different kind of kingdom. When is, whenever Israel is talking about their kingdom, they're talking about a kingdom where they were in charge. So one of the questions that you'll see in this first passage is they're constantly asking Jesus, is it time for the kingdom of Israel to come? And remember, that was part of their struggles. They wanted a conquering king. They wanted someone who would help them come right now and make the kingdom of Israel on earth. And Jesus keeps telling them, you guys need the Spirit of God because part of what the Spirit of God will do is tell you what kingdom you need to be focused on. And it's the kingdom of God. It's the restoration that Jesus is going to provide for the whole world. As he takes his time to promise them that the kingdom's uh, about to come and 
uh, the angels. He's taking, he's taking up from the mount, which is going to be starting next week. We'll start with that in verse 12. From the Mount of Olives, and they're, and they're basically going to, the book is going to end at chapter 11, we're going to end right there, is they're looking for the, to what to do next. And so today we're just going to focus on what actually took place in that first part of the passage, which is um, Acts 1, 1 through 11, and I'm going to read, and you can follow along with me. I'll be reading um, the establishing of the church, the Lord is lifted on high. Okay, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, and after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and then spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for my gift that the Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then he gathered around them and asked, Lord, at this time are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the date that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes in a cloud, hid him from their sight, for they were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? For the same Jesus who has been taken up from you in heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go. All right, so verse 1 here. The idea here is Jesus is getting ready to institute the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is this opportunity to see Jesus as this re restorative person that's going to come and restore hope to the, to the world. Because, because of sin entering in, we needed a redemptive plan. And so Jesus is constantly talking to them about this. Remember, Luke is starting the Gospels, the good news, that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the redemptive one. And so what they're talking about, this constant battle between the two kingdoms, is their struggle is for the kingdom of now. The kingdom of Israel is what they want right now. They want someone to come and kind of get it going. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, what I want you guys to do is wait right here, and I want you to wait for the Spirit of God to fall upon you, and then you're going to go out and begin something anew. I mean, the fact that Jesus is kind of instituting from the very beginning that the people of God, his followers, would be the one to go and evangelize, that they were going to need something. And what they were going to need was they were going to need the power. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but when I think about power and the Holy Spirit, there's an interesting concept in the Bible. The word dudamas is the word, root word for dynamite. And so the power of the Holy Spirit is this dynamic power that's going to enable these people to do something that they couldn't do before. Along with that, remember, they had been walking and talking with him for all these years, and they still couldn't see what was going to happen. So when he tells them that you're going to start here in Jerusalem, and then you're going to go, you're going to go here, and then you're going to go Judea, and then Samaria, and eventually you're going to go to the ends of the earth, it must have seemed overwhelming to them. Once again, thinking about where we are right now, if I said, okay, this section, you guys go north all the way to Riverside, and this section, you guys go south all the way to San Clemente, and then this section, you go east all the way up into Long Beach, I mean, how much could they actually walk every day? And this is what they're doing. They're walking every day and they're ministering to people along the way. And just from that small little concentric 20, 30 mile radius, they go all the way to the ends of the earth. So that even as we sit here today, as we think about the word of God going out, it all started like that in Jerusalem. 
In verse 2, he talks about the idea that you needed to have instructions. He gave them instructions and talked about how he had to give them many convincing proofs. Until the day he was taken up, he had to give them many convincing proofs. I found that very interesting that Jesus had to give them many interesting proofs when he had just walked with them for over a thousand days. The ministry of Christ plus or minus starts about the age 30 and goes somewhere to about 33 years. So for three years, 365 days, so plus or minus a thousand consecutive days of ministering, a thousand consecutive days of seeing Jesus work and say and speak all these different miracles, he still has to come back after his resurrection and spend 40 days with these guys. And I don't know about you, but this gave me a little bit of encouragement. I don't know if you feel hard-headed sometimes about learning things from God, but I mean, these guys walked and talked with him every single day. And yet in their final hours, as Jesus hung on the cross, they weren't thinking about how they were going to start evangelizing the next day. They, they all went back to their old lives, right? They all went back to their old ways. And Jesus not only had to come back to restore them, but he had to come back to renew in them this understanding that I told you guys all this information, right? I'm thinking to myself, they needed the Holy Spirit because they weren't able to actually obtain that information and see that information. And so if you're one of those people today, even as I sit here today, find courage and strength in something. If, if you know that you know the truth and you still struggle with the truth, it's okay. You know, we're in good, we're in good cohorts in that sense. These guys walked and talked and saw Jesus do every single one of those miracles. And yet the reality was for those first 40 days, he came back and sat with them. He came back and ate with them. He came back and reminded them. And he didn't look at them and say, man, I am really disappointed with you guys. You know, what an absolute heartbreak it is that you guys have not paid attention to any of this. He knew that they were going to struggle with this. And I don't know about you, but I need convincing proofs just like Theophilus needs convincing proofs. And he did this for a period of time. It says he had to do this for 40 days. Now, 40 days is an interesting uh, word in the Bible because if you guys like biblical numerology, um, there's no number in the Bible that probably doesn't have some type of correlation. And coming up on my 38 years of marriage, I was really wondering if there's some insight for that. So, honey, I should warn you, in two years, it's going to be something different at 40. 40 seems to be the number of, let's see, the flood. Moses on Mount Sinai. Oh, you found it. Ah, Marcus, you are a true wonder of the world. <laughs> this is how my mind works, too, you guys. I love letting you step into my mind. But, I mean, so many people have, have, like, heard the Word of God and talked about the Word of God but never seen the Word of God. Like, a picture like that makes the Word of God, to me, jump out. And I remember seeing that in seminary. So that's a, that's a timeline of the Old and the New Testament and the correlations and the connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament jumping back and forth to convince, okay, this prophecy was foretold here. Okay, boom, that prophecy is now done here. That was told here, that is here. And the reality is every single prophecy that's in the Bible will one day be completed, right? That's the Lord said it, it's going to be. But you can actually trace a good percentage of them. I think it's a couple hundred of them have already been done. But thank you, Mark, for that wonderful picture because... I definitely feel like that's what the Word of God does. It gives me proofs, right? That was pretty tangible for where I'm at. He wanted proofs. Theophilus wanted convincing proofs, and he wanted to know. Um, what else happened for 40 days? Goliath, when he threatened Israel, he threatened them for 40 days before someone responded. Nineveh had 40 days to respond before they were destroyed. Jesus in the wilderness, fasting, 40 days. Moses on Mount Sinai, 40 days and Elijah, 40 days. I just put some of them. I think there's plus or minus about 20 different 40-day um, experiences in the Bible. And so when I got a chance to look up the numerology, it says this, 40 is the number to complete a spiritual challenge. So somebody, something that they had to go through for 40 days, 40 years, 40 minutes, 40 hours, whatever it was, was a spiritual challenge. 
And it's interesting to me because the reality here is these guys have had a thousand days of nonstop conditioning. They still didn't get it. And now Jesus has taken them to like the ultimate boot camp. The reality of this boot camp is, though, even though he's reconditioning their hearts and minds, they say, you guys know this stuff. Like, we've gotten over this stuff. Come on, you know this. He, he has to send something to them that they ultimately need. And I think it's something that we should all make consideration because when I finally get to this part, what they ultimately needed, though, was the Spirit of God. Like, didn't matter that they did all the study and didn't matter they had all the information. In the end, what they needed was upcoming. Verse 4 says ultimately what it is. It's a gift from my Father that I want you to wait for. It's a gift from my Father that until you receive it, you don't have the ability to understand the fullness of what I'm actually giving you. And I think that's so important for us today because the reality is that the church that was birthed 2,000 years ago, the church that was birthed that we exist from here today, we are the product of that church, and the church which is still going out, that same Spirit of God that was given then is the same Spirit of God that we have now, right? And yet, think about what they were able to do. The church, plus or minus, is about 120 people at this time. Jesus is going to come back to them, and he's going to say, hey, look, I know we're small. I know we're mighty. But this is what I need you to understand. When the Spirit of God comes upon you, when the Spirit of God baptizes you, when the Spirit of God empowers you, a couple of things are going to happen. One, the first thing that's going to happen is you're no longer going to have to do it of your own volition. You're not going to have to do it of your own strength. And I think that alone is worth taking some time and thinking about. I don't know about you, but when it comes to like presenting the gospel, when it comes to like thinking about our role as believers and what we're supposed to do, the great reminder that he's going to give us is it's going to be about evangelism, okay? The call of the original church is evangelism. The call of our, if we're wondering why today it feels like it's so far away, is because if we don't know what we're here for, if we don't know, know what we're doing, it's hard for us to focus on that. But the call of the church, the birth of the church is evangelism. And in order to be able to even evangelize, to be able to go out there and sh speak and share the name of Jesus, they needed something. And so he's giving them the thing that they need, the dudamas, the power, okay? The power to understand, understand things, wisdom, the paraclete, he walks alongside of us, he instructs us in truth. All these different things that we need are all coming in the spirit. And this church growth means that if we want the church to grow today, if we want to realize what God has intended for us to do today, that we need to be evangelistic in our nature. Everything that happens good, everything that happens about who we are, happens through the Holy Spirit's power and the opportunity to evangelize. And I couldn't help but think about this. Coming out of uh, Nehemiah, we saw in chapter 9 of Nehemiah, that when that great revival hit, they had the opportunity to fall back on the Holy Spirit of God. They had the opportunity to fall back to what they knew. But we're not talking about a fallback to get to a revival. We're talking about the birth of the church here, right? Acts is the birth of the church. So we need to stop thinking about it as a fallback part and think about it as simply this. We only exist today as a church when we empower ourselves to the Holy Spirit to go do what he has called us to do. And the further we are from the power of the Holy Spirit, the further we are from the ability to have the knowledge, understanding, encouragement, the advocacy, the counselor, the help, and the boldness. This is another thing that I really found in this. I mean, some people are like, oh, Pastor Jeff, you're just really comfortable speaking to people. That's why you can, you know, evangelize to anyone. No, every one of us has the Spirit of God. If you've come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, then the Spirit of God now lives inside of you. You have those same confidence, that same boldness. And when he gets to verse 5, and he says, so let me compare it for you. Let me explain what actually happens here. Remember when John the Baptist, he baptized you physically in water, okay? And buried with Christ in death, 
raised to a new life in him, okay? That's a physical representation of something that's spiritual in nature. What he's saying is you were dry as you sit upright. You were dry and you were dead to life. And then you were covered in the blood of Christ, covered, and that covering renewed you. It made you alive. And so you're covered in that, and then symbolically you're raised to a new life in him. Now he's saying there's something else that's about to happen. The Spirit of God's about to cover you. And this Spirit of God is going to be the same kind of baptism. It's a spiritual representation that you're going to now have the ability through the power of the Spirit of God living in you to do things that were outside of your purview, to see things that were outside of your understanding, and to accomplish things that were physically and spiritually impossible before the Spirit of God came upon you. So every single one of you has the opportunity now through the Spirit of God to do one thing, communicate the truth of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. If we have one single purpose in life, church, that we need to be doing is we need to be communicating the death, burial, and resurrection. That's salvation summarized for all those around us. And that's what the advocate does. He comes alongside of us. He helps us. And then he allows us to say to someone, hey, I know you're going through some different things in life. Let me give you some spiritual wisdom, okay? Uh, Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom, right? If you want Sophia, by the way, that biblical word for that, Sophia, it's a beautiful name. But that's a, uh, an attribute that talks about if you want that, then you need to know what you need to fear. And this is what the Spirit of God then allows us to realize. Okay, there's lots of things that we could want. There's lots of things that we could need. But if I want to know what God wants me to do, if I want to know what God would have me do, then I need to start with that fear of the Lord. Because who can take my soul? Only the Lord. And then verse 6 moves on to this concept of will you restore the kingdom, right? They're constantly struggling with this. What about our kingdom? And he's like, look, your kingdom is not what I'm here for, okay? And maybe sometimes we struggle with the same thing too. Lord, about what about my kingdom? What about my family? What about my job? What about my world? That's, that's not what his, his power of the Spirit of God was for. That Spirit of God that's living is us for, for his kingdom, that restorative kingdom that Jesus came to, to put in motion. That's the kingdom of God. And so he's constantly battling with them in their human nature to say, what about our kingdom? What about our conquering king? What about our time? What about our space? And he's like, man, this sounds like when you guys were fighting, like, who's the greatest? Will he be the greatest? Can I sit at your right hand? I mean, you guys don't know what you're talking about, okay? Relax. The Spirit of God's going to come upon you. And when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you'll be able to see some things and hear some things and understand some things, what you need to understand. Because what you need to know is in verse 7, the times and this information, that's not for you, okay? What is for you is for you to know that you need to go speak. The whole point of studying God's word, the whole point of coming to church, the whole point of small groups and anything that we do should be in studying God's word, it becomes like this fuel, this fuel of urgency that kind of gets in our lives so that we then have the reason to say, okay, to the people around me, the oikos, the people that God has supernaturally put around us, who can I share with, right? Just like with those same thing with the rings. Usually starts with family and friends. You share with the people that God has put around you, the grocery store person you go to every single time, the restaurant waitress who serves you every single time. You start with sharing that urgency with them. And I think this is another concern of mine is that we have this incredible power and the opportunity to have the word of God be something that we have conversations about, right? So you can come to church and I can come to church and we can discuss God's word. We can talk about God's word. And it basically is Christian to Christian. We spend all of our times kind of edifying and encouraging one another. But the point of God's word and the point of God's spirit is not just to edify and encourage one another. It's to equip us to go out there and share that with the, with the world around us, right? In the end, our goal is to bring the world in here. The, our goal is to magnify and grow the kingdom of God, not just create conversations where the spirit of God makes you more intelligent or me more intelligent or me more understanding. 
Matter of fact, I think it, ought, it actually lends itself to a, maybe a, an abuse of the Spirit of God, where we use the Spirit of God to say, let's use it to affirm one another, that you understand and I understand, and somehow the Spirit of God affirms us in it. I think that's kind of a dangerous place to be. I think the best thing to do is just simply say, whatever the Spirit of God leads you to understand, go out and share that with someone else and give them a chance to see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So using our gifts to other things, that's a danger. Be careful about that. In the end, when he was taken up, in verse 9, it talks about the idea that he was taken up. It confirmed another passage, like the correlating verses back and forth. Daniel, uh, 200 years before this passage was actually written, had a vision. And this is from Daniel 7, 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and therefore was a man, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power, and all the nations and all people of every language worshipped him, and his dominion was everlasting and will not pass away, and his kingdom will never be destroyed. And so the opportunity to know that this was foretold, once again, was just an opportunity for the disciples to know that everything, whether they understood it or not, had been spoken. It was all there to confirm their faith. So like Theophilus, they could have the opportunity to have this affirming, overwhelming sense of proofs for what they were believing in, and at the same Mount of Olives where Jesus once was uh, lifted up, he will also return. And it's an interesting little phrase. The phrase, you guys heard the phrase, keep looking up? You know, okay, this is, this is where the phrase keep looking up comes from. It's, a, it's an old phrase, and the idea is in order to remind yourself that where Jesus is gone, he's coming from, is keep looking up and kind of keep yourself spiritually thinking about the fact that he's going to return one day. And so, that would be a very interesting day for the world when, when the, uh, the ark of the, uh, see, probably Gabriel sound his trumpet and he's going to play his trumpet and the Lord's going to return. And then you're going to see how the world kind of has to deal with the fact that a, a large quantity of believers will be caught up and kind of taken away. Um, if you are thinking about that kind of in advance, think about this. All the people who said Christianity and Jesus and all that stuff was kind of hokey pokey. Uh, what are they going to do when they see a large contingency of people actually taken away, right? What are they going to do when they actually have the opportunity? Are they still going to believe, right? Are they still going to deny? And just think about this. Jesus walked on the earth. When he did walk on the earth, he, people saw him do miracles every single day, and they still didn't believe. So we can't get caught up with whether they would believe or whether they wouldn't believe. But I, I say that to you as an affirmation. When you meet someone who says, well, if Jesus is real, he has to prove himself to me. The reality is, church, that if, even as Jesus proved himself to you, if Jesus walked through that door right now and said, I am Jesus, and hovered back up, and it wouldn't matter what people still see and they don't believe, right? So our job is not to get caught up in the minutia of whether someone sees and doesn't believe. Our job is simply to go and to make and to baptize and to teach. We have to stay committed to the main thing because what we really saw here in that whole thing was it wasn't of their own power, right? It wasn't the disciples' power because their power was scattered, Jesus died. I'm going back to tent making. What are you doing? I'm going back to fishing. Okay, I'm going back to this. All, that's what they decided they were going to do. And Jesus does this super boot camp with them and this whole different thing. And he's like, even though this is fabulous and I've got you guys reoriented and you know what you need to do, I still have to send one to you. And I think that's such a blessing that Jesus would send us something that doesn't go away that we have until his return. So, like, if you're ever feeling alone, too, this is also a good source of encouragement. The Holy Spirit is there. That's part of that advocacy, right? He's the comforter for you. So that whatever you're going through, whenever you are going through it, fall back into that position and realize something. You're never alone, and God is with you. 
by the time they get to verse 10, they're watching the situation, and Jesus is literally in the, in the hovering mode, and I'm just thinking about, okay, you've seen him do all these miracles, you've seen him do all this and that, and now he's actually levitating, right? I mean, and you're still struggling, right? But the reality of this last final encounter with Jesus is that, remember, the first time Jesus leaves, they scatter. This time, after Jesus leaves in the clouds, which fulfills this prophecy, what do they actually dig in and do? You know, we're not going to get to that today, but I can tell you the end of the story is these guys, for the most part, I think 10 of the 11 that are original die as martyrs. Like what they saw in that moment was so convincing and so powerful that they didn't have that same fall away. They didn't have that we're kind of confused and we don't know what we need to do. They knew exactly what they had saw and what they had heard and what they understood that time. And they were able to go out there and spread the word of God from the ends, from the ends of the earth from Jerusalem on. And that's why it's so funny when the angels kind of show up. It says two people just showed up, right? Men of Galilee, why do you stand there just looking into the sky? For the same Jesus who left this way will come again. And I'm thinking, what, what else would you do? I mean, your mouth agape. Uh, I mean, how are we going to explain this one? We just think about all the stuff they'd already seen, right? People dead. I mean, raised to life. People with leprosy, whatever, ear on the ground, ear put back on the head. I mean, think about the hundreds of miracles. John actually says if all the miracles that they saw and were recorded would be voluminous books, right? All this other stuff. And now here is this Savior, this one they were saying, well, it'd be better if you stay. And he's levitating out and he's going away. And they're like, wow, what, what does this actually mean for us, right? But in the same way, he said, as he goes, then what comes, right? They were waiting for the Spirit of God to then come. And the spirit of God where Jesus was this finite person in that sense to them because wherever Jesus was was the only place they could kind of feel holy. He's saying, I'm going to send one to you that will be with all of you all the time. I mean, think about that. The power of the Holy Spirit is that every believer everywhere on the face of the earth has that same connection to that dunamis, that power of the spirit of God, that same boldness, that same confidence. And because of this proclamation, I feel like this is something the church needs to realize, is because of this proclamation of what the Spirit of God actually did in this first book, is that there should be an urgency in our hearts that every time we hear the Word of God, whether we understand it or not, we pray about it, we supplicate on it, we think about it, but then we try to figure out how we can go out there and give that to other people and share that information with other people. Ultimately, that's what happens is that the Spirit of God helps us to understand things that are besides our, beyond our own understanding and tilting our head back and simply saying, oh, he's gone. You know, when is he going to return? Uh, the old saying is, you know, you're so, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good, right? It's like, it's like is God going to come? And I, I talk with people all the time and like, this was, it's really close. It's really close. It's like there's always a sense of urgency in believers to tell me it's really close. And I find that interesting. It's like I'm the last I know. I know it's really close. I, I'm the one who stays up at night thinking, Lord, how much time do we have left? How many people do I still know that are not believers? But we need to tell them that, right? We don't need to just keep convincing believers. Believers should already know that it's getting close. But in the same sense, just like when they ask, is your time coming? Is, is, is our time coming? He said, it's not, it's not for us to even know. So the fact that we think we understand that we're getting close, and so it, that just ultimately becomes a distraction. So let me take away that distraction from you and say, is he coming? Yes right? Like the connections back and forth. He said he's coming again, so he is coming. Is it closer now? Well, it's 2,000 years later, so the answer has to be yes. By default, it has to be closer. How much closer? I don't know. I mean, it could be two days, two weeks, two years, or 2,000 more years, but the reality is, is we have a job to do from the very beginning, and we were commissioned from the very beginning to have the Spirit of God in us so that we could go do this job 
And that's ultimately what we need to be revealing. The Spirit of God gives us the opportunity to see Jesus Christ, to understand who he is, and then share that with other people. So if there's something that the church ultimately learned in its birth, is that they could not become the church without the Spirit of God. So as we sit here today, if we think we can be, still continue to be the church without the power of the Spirit of God, then we're fooling ourselves. Because the very thing that empowers us to have the confidence, the boldness to go out there and share with the world, we've depleted ourselves from that power. I don't know about you, but it feels like today a lot of us are doing just what they were doing. Our heads are kind of you know, fixed up and we're just kind of like we're lost in wonder. Like, what is going on? How much closer are we? I mean, if you do happen to watch the news, it does feel like there's no reason to watch the news, right? And it's just nothing but doom and gloom. But the reality, church, is going to get a lot worse. And the reality is going to get worse for your grandkids, and it's going to be worse for every generation after that. So the reality is, if you want to focus on the externals, all those externals are going to do is going to distract you. There's only one main purpose for the church. The church grows non-believers. The church is here to make disciples, right? Our purpose is make disciples who love God, love one another, and love their community. Our goal is to make disciples. If we're doing anything other than making disciples, if we're having conversations, that's great. If we're, if we're growing smarter and wiser in the Word of God, that's great. If we're serving and we're helping our community, that's great. But all those supersede one fact. Are we making new disciples? Because if we're not making new disciples, then from what we were birthed for, what we were actually intended to do, we've lost our focus. And so that's basically what I wanted to share with you this morning and just remind you that it doesn't matter what we do, it doesn't matter why we're doing it, we have one purpose in life. Through the Spirit of God that was given to us in Acts 1 through 11, we now realize we can be more in Christ. We can be more in the Spirit of God and we can go out into the world around us and we can share that Christ with the, with the lost world around us. I'm going to ask the uh, band to come up. I'm so grateful. I'm see how much faster I am. I'm so much faster than Easter. I'm going to pray. And um, if you have some things you need to pray about, we'll be available for prayer. I'll be up here in the front. If you have some things you want the church to be praying for, you can uh, put that on a connection card. If you would like to be involved with the baptism or some of the things that the church has to offer coming up, we can also talk to you about those. You can fill out the connection cards and put those in the boxes in the back, and we can get back to you on that. If there's anything else that you came in this building with this morning that's kind of unsettled or undone and you want to talk about, um, I'm available. We have elders available. We're glad to sit and do that with you. So let me pray. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to study your word. I thank you for the simplicity of Acts 1 through 11. And the reality that 2,000 years ago, when you birthed this thing called the church, um, you didn't birth it so that the responsibility of saving lost people was exclusively upon us. You kind of made us know that, yes, we're going to be the ones who communicate to the world that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But we're not going to be doing it of our own strength. We're going to be doing, doing it with the power and the strength of your spirit. That same spirit that's part of the Trinity is part of us. And that dynamic power father lives inside of us and gives us the chance to be bold and to be confident that what the work that you have begun in us that you're going to complete and if you said it somewhere in scripture and we haven't seen it come to pass it that's okay it will come to pass all things will come to pass and the reality that we have today is that it's still the main call of the church the call of the church is to go and evangelize the spirit of god has been given to you so that you can go and from jerusalem to judea to samaria to the ends of the earth we can let them know, you know, blessed are the feet of those who bring the good news of Jesus Christ, that salvation is here, and the restorative work that Jesus began 2,000 years ago and completed on the cross, 
we now have the opportunity to call Jesus Messiah and Savior because of the saving work that he completed on that cross in Easter. Father, we do all these things and say all these things in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. I have to turn the mic on in order to be on. We're going to sing You Are Good. We're going to close out with that. And I'm thinking you just might want to stand up, but it's your option. Every nation and time.
Amen. Thank you. God bless. Have a good weekend. If you have prayers, you want to hang out, we'll be here for a while. Find somebody and take them out to lunch today. We'll see you all next week. God bless.